a couple of weeks ago in our country, there was some uh, outrage over a few states, right, that kind of passed a law, signed a law that, that now abortion can go all the way up to uh, pretty much the time a baby is born, right? Uh, really heartbreaking, devastating, right? Uh, and it was just amazing how uh, actually sad when people would, were applauding at the fact of that, right? I mean, a room full of people that, that stood up and, and shared that you can now take a baby's life. I mean, we shouldn't share at all about abortion, but to, to, to say you can wait all the way up until the baby is born to take a life. Right? The, the, the homosexual agenda, it just seems like everywhere you go is being pushed down on us, right? Commercials and movies and even now even in, in school uh, teachings, they want you to teach the stuff, indoctrinate it, so it, it looks like it's normal now for our kids, Right? And you look at that and, and you say, man, that, that's a crooked and twisted generation, right? And it's interesting because when we read in, in Philippians, Paul uses that same word, right? That you would be what? Lights in the world um, in the midst of a crooked and, and a twisted generation. So 2,000 years ago, Paul uses those same words. No, Paul, it couldn't be that bad. No, we're living in bad times here. But Paul uses the same words, the same uh, description of what was going on in that time. And right? So it just makes you wonder, man, they, people were, were wicked. People are wicked. Without, without God, we are just sinful people, wicked people, right? We don't even need Satan to lead us. Just our, our nature just leads us to depravity. So here Paul is, you know, uses the same term, a, a crooked and twisted generation. So for us... Um, in our day, um, the, the world needs the church. In such a time, the, the world it needs a place. That's why people are, are, are running around and doing crazy things because they're searching, they're, they're, they're seeking, and, but they're seeking in all the wrong places. And yet, the only place where they can find hope is the church. And even in, the, in some of the, the Catholic um, denomination right now. There's a big movement of, uh, of of priests and the sexual scandals, and and that even becomes a uh, really makes the the world even mad. You know, we can't even trust you guys. You know, we can't even we're not even comfortable in, in, in the church now. But more than ever, do we, as believers, as people who believe in in the scripture, should be the light to the world. And so, in in the midst of a crazy. Wicked generation, we are called to be the light. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus preaching on the mountain. He's preaching to his disciples and those around. And he says, uh, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. So Paul, so Jesus is preaching on, on, on his favorite his famous sermon on the mountain is that you are the light, you are the light of the world, and you are to shine. Nobody lights a, a light and then go puts it underneath a, 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 a cloth or a table. No, you light it so you can bright up the room, so you can give light, so you can give direction. Again, the problem with many churches is that we are not shining too bright. 
it's hard to distinguish if we are the, the church or if we are the world, right? You visit some churches and you go out and sometimes you wonder, like, man, do we, are we worshiping God or are we worshiping our idols, what we believe? So Paul here is encouraging the church in Philippians to be lights in the world. So I just want to share with you uh, three ways of living, three ways how we can uh, live to be effective lights in the world. And there are three things in there. I kind of did a, a LED, right? LED lights. So here we go. Number L is living obediently. Verse 12, it says, Therefore, my beloved, Paul again writing, as you have always obeyed, right? As you have, you have always obeyed. And my, you know, this was the, one of the earliest churches that Paul planted. So, so from now, writing this, it's been about 10 years since he's has known this congregation. And so he's saying, as you have always obeyed, man, you guys have been great people. You're better than Galatians, and you're better now. He just says, you guys have been good people. You have obeyed. But so not, no, not only as in my presence, but not much more in my absence. So Paul, uh, according to historians, he's probably writing, he wrote this from uh, prison in Rome, right? So he's in Rome writing this. So now much more in my, in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So he said, guys, you guys have been awesome. You have been great. All the reports I get, you guys have been obey obedient. You have obeyed. But now in my absence is more important, right? It'd be like Pastor Jason, you know, saying, hey, guys, I'm going on a trip. You guys are always good in my presence, right? When the pastor's around, we're good. But when he leaves, hey, sometimes, no. It's just like saying, hey, in my absence is more important now that you live godly lives. Or, or in school, I remember being in junior high and high school, our teacher when, when she knew she was going to be absent the next day, she would be like, y'all better be on your best behavior. Because we know what happens, right? When there's a substitute teacher, it's like it's a free day for us. That's what we think, right? And we just, uh, some of us act in ways that, you know, hey. But pause writing to the church. Guys, in, in my absence, it's more important now that you obey. More obey. Obey How? And he tells them, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So just make this clear. Paul is not saying to, to work for your salvation, right? Bible doesn't teach that. Bible doesn't teach that we earn our way to heaven or we earn good merits with God or we earn his love. But he's saying that, that uh, if you, if in, in salvation, because uh, as we were talking to, uh, earlier today in Sunday school, the gospel is about... Uh, it's about more than just saying a prayer. It's about understanding that you are becoming a new person. That there's a heart transplant taking place. That you, you're becoming a heart of a stone to a heart of flesh. And now you're being imputed with God's righteousness. And now the things of him and the kingdom are in you now. And so that's going to produce works of salvation. Now because you're saved, you're going to produce things that go along with your salvation. It's going to cause you. That's why when you meet somebody who says they've been a Christian for, you know, two, three years, even a month, if there hasn't been a change, uh, an excitement, or something different about that person, you would have to question, was there really a salvation that took place? Was there really a conversion? And so Paul is, 
Again, work out your own salvation with fear, with fear. That's one of the issues with churches. Many people go into doors and we walk in and we walk in like if we own the place. Like, hey, we're coming in to worship me. We're coming in to worship my God. No, folks, this is about the holy God, the sovereign, the righteous, the one who took our place on the cross. We come with fear. We should come in knowing, I better not miss this. Not that we can, because he's already done it once and for all, but our attitude should come. God, God, I don't want to fall in sin. God, I do want to be obedient. That should be our hearts and our desires. Even in our daily living, that's what Paul said. Even amidst from my absence, in my absence, you should desire long to serve the God. Come with fear. Come with and it's a fear of I'm afraid, but then also a reverence. Just God, you're holy. I get to come in your presence. I get to come. You saved me. Not because of my works, not because I figured it out, not because I was good, just because of your love and your grace. You save me. So I come in that fear and that reverence. Right? Just like an earthly father. My father, I fear him because when I was a kid, he would spank me. Right? Bell, a paddle, wood, whatever he could find. Now he can't paddle me. I'm a little bigger. But I still fear him because he's my father. I fear, I fear him and I respect him because of who he is. And I want to honor him. I want to respect him. So it says, come uh, with fear and, and, and trembling. Again, again, sometimes we come into his presence. When you read in the Old Testament, when the, when the priest had to go into the tabernacle, there was fear in the priest. Why? Because if he was wrong or if he messed up, you know, they would tie a rope around his leg in case, you know, he, he did something wrong. They would just drag him out. And we should, again, we should come into his presence with that trembling that I'm in his presence. I know we sing about it. We sing songs a lot about it. Holy Spirit, come. You're welcome. Is he really welcome? Because if his power was to come, man, we would just all fall and be at his feet and weep and weep. And that should be a heart of worship. That should be our our nature of coming and falling at his feet and, and weeping. But again, a lot of us, and it's going to go back to what we studied today, we just don't know scripture, so we come into the church thinking, we're here for me. I get to worship me. I get to worship the way I want. I go to this church because I like this and I like this and I like this. And we end up worshiping idols and the false god. And, and Paul is reminding Philippians, again, a twisted and and crooked generation, hey, obey, obey. And how are you going to obey? How are you going to live a life of obedience? Is by working out your own salvation. Notice he says your own salvation, right? You don't have to work out others. Says, work out your own salvation. And again, if you are born again, if you've been given a new heart, regenerated, you're going to produce the fruit of the Spirit. You're going to produce the characteristics of the Father. There's going to be love. There's going to be patience and joy and peace and kindness. And so Paul is saying, work out your own salvation, fear and trembling. 
Salvation is not just a one-time thing, right? God came into my heart, but no, it's a daily thing. You have to work for it, right? Get in the Word. We have to come and fellowship with our brothers and sisters, right? It takes practice. It just doesn't happen uh, overnight. It takes work. Proverbs 1, 7, it says, is The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And again, it's just another understanding of the word fear. We, one of the, base, the, 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 the basic principle of it is just fearing the Lord. The, the Lord. That's the, 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 the first step is just fearing him. The fear of the Lord. Uh, Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the whole, the holiness, the whole one of insight. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of all evil. You see that? So as Christians, we're going to hate evil. The fear of the Lord, those who fear God. Again, this room that was applauding, man, my heart broke. These guys are under the damnation of God. Unless they repent, God will have his justice upon them. Uh, Proverbs 10, 20, the fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. Fear, reverence, uh, trembling, and awe. We, we work out our salvation in that way. In that way, we will be living a life of obedience, right? Because when you fear the Lord, when you reverence him, you're going to obey him, right? And there's so much we can go into details as what we should do and what we would go. But that's why when you hear people taking the gospel out, going on missions, is because they fear the Lord and they're in reverence. I know for me, my time and when I lived in Guatemala, I would sit outside my balcony and, the, and my view was uh, this volcano about 30, 40 miles in front of me. And at night, you can just see the, the lava just splash and sprue out. And it was just a beautiful sight. You know, you don't get to see that here in, in, in the East Texas of the country. But uh, I would just sit out and drink my coffee. And I would just look at that and just say, God, wow. I was in awe. And I would tremble sometimes. I said, God, you, 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 you created this. You, 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 you formed these mountains to work in a way that nobody can really understand why they work and when they erupt and, and, how, and how it functions and and then you allow me to be a part of your kingdom. All right. So I would just sit there and drink my coffee and just be in awe. God, you're, you're using me? You're using me? Again, you formed these mountains. You don't need me. You, you, don't need, you don't need any of us. The way you make this volcano work on its own, you can, you can bring salvation on your own. You can use better things. But in awe, I would just sit there and just drink my coffee and just thank you, God. Thank you, God. Verse 14 and 15, Paul then writes, he gets a little bit more deeper. It says, then do all things without what? Grumbling or questioning. And I know all of us are guilty of that, right? It's just our, our nature. We just want to question things. Why? Right? Boss tells us to do something, and what do we want to do? Why? Why can't we do it this way? Why can't they do it? Or why can't... And we grumble. And Paul just saying, hey, when you know who's in charge, the ultimate person, you don't have to question. You don't have to fear. 
It doesn't mean we seek wisdom. It doesn't mean we don't seek knowledge. But it just says we shouldn't be close, right? We should be some of the best employees out there. That we just do it because we, we love God. We serve, right? And that's, again, that's hard. Because our nature is to, we want to be in charge. We want to give our opinion. We want to do things the way we feel. And so that would probably disqualify all of us. But one of the themes in Philippians uh, is the word joy. Paul uses that word a lot, joy, joy. You can't have joy if you're always uh, arguing, right? You can't have joy if you're always questioning or trying to you just have joy in what you do. Hey, at work, have joy. Hey, when, when your boss tells you to do something or your teacher tells you to do something or or mom and dad tells you to do something, you just do it with joy. Do it with joy. Philippians 2, 1 through 4, let's go back a couple of verses. And he says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete Again, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And that was the whole beauty of, uh, of the Lord's Supper. The, the, the Lord's Supper, it, it, it took away... The rich, the poor, it took away the Greek, the, the Gentiles, took away color, it took away everything, and it brought everybody in unity, those who were in Christ. That's why Paul got mad in some other books. Hey, you guys eat so much, but you let the poor by themselves. If you're going to do that, eat at your home or invite them over. When you come to the table, you come in unity. You come together. That's the whole beauty of the gospel, that it breaks down walls that, that we have put up. And so Paul here says, uh, put others before you, right? That, that's, that's being obedient. That's not uh, always asking questions or why do we got to do this? Or why do we got to sing this song? Or why do we got to sing this way? And hey, let's come together and let's be unified. Let's be unified. That would be obeying. Obeying scripture. And that's the whole the beauty of, of the Lord's Supper, that all those who trust in Jesus, no matter your, your ethnicity, no matter uh, your, uh, your economy, no matter where you come from, the region, the blood of Jesus united us together, that we can all partake in the gospel. But to love and to serve others will require less grumbling and less disputing. Right? Paul calls us to do that. And he goes, why? And he goes, because we are children of God, to be blameless, innocent, without blemish. Why do we do it? Because we're, we're children of God. We, we, we're God's children. So if God is a God of love and peace and joy, then we're his children. So we display those characteristics. As some of you know, you know, my, uh, I was adopted, so 
but I, I don't know my, my biological parents, but my dad is amazing because growing up, people would always say, you look like your dad. You do the things like your dad. And I said, but we haven't really no DNA together. But you know, because he set the example for you. You learned his ways. You saw him and you learned. And so there's things that I do just because he's my dad. And it's the same way. If God is your father, again, he's going to put a new heart in you that reflects his heart. And he's going to cause you to do the things that he does. And so those are times where, hey, if you look at your, your, your life in the mirror and you wonder, Am I, do I look like the father? That will be a time to ask are you really being obedient or are you not? And I hope you would examine yourself. That's why he said, examine yourself, work out your own salvation to see if you are of God. And so you might say it's hard, it's impossible to live obedient. It is hard, right? But we still have this flesh in us, this, this, this flesh of we're trying to die to, we're trying to get rid of. And so it would lead to next Next one is the E, and it just says empowered by God, right? We have to be empowered by God. Verse 13, what does it say? For it is who? For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So is it our strength? Is it our ability? Is it because we have figured it out? No? What's the answer? It is God who works in you, both to will, so to, to even to come up with the idea that's, that's him putting it in you, and then to, to put it into action, to actually give you the strength and energy to, to work it out. is all because of him, right? And that's the only way we can live a life of obedience, is if we're empowered by God. Ephesians 2.10 2, says this, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, obedience, things of God, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Right? So it is God who has prepared them, prepared all of our steps. He has guided, leaded for his good works, for his pleasure, for his glory. Again, Galatians 2.20, For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but who? But Christ who lives in me. It's Christ who's in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is God who puts into us the will and the ability to work for his good pleasure. It's all God, right? Ephesians 2, 8, 8 through 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So it's all a work of God. So Paul's telling the congregation in Philippi, hey, we live life of obedience, but it's, it's, it's because of God. You, you need God. God has to be in your life. And the beauty is God has reached down and rescued us. Not because, again, not because we, we look cute, you know, or we grabbed his attention or, or he needed us. It's just because of his love and grace, his mercy. He reached down and rescued us. And then he put inside of us his spirit so now we can live an obedient life. 
but it's, it's empowered by God. It's all a work of God. But how does that happen? How do we live a Holy Spirit-filled life? I know in the Baptist world, we, we kind of shine away or shy away from that word Holy Spirit, but we need the Holy Spirit. We need Him daily. We need Him to be saved, and we need Him to continue being saved daily. We need the Holy Spirit. The Bible, Jesus even said, it's better for me to leave because the Holy Spirit would come, and now it would dwell on you. It would dwell in you. Now you would become his temple, and now you would do great and mighty works. So to be empowered by God, which leads to the letter D. So again, LED, we want to shine bright. You know, LED lights, man, they shine bright. They last long. And it says D is just devoted to the word. So if you notice, there's like a, a, shame, a shame that comes, you know, how do we be obedient? Well, you need God, but then how do you find God and get God? It's through the word, right? Devoted to the word. Verse 14, and we're going to read back a little bit. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, then verse 16, holding fast to the word of life. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Hold fast. Paul's telling the, the, the Philippians, remember that time, they didn't even really have books like we have books. They just had copies, little maybe pages of certain, certain parts of the Bible. So they didn't have this complete book that we have. And Paul, and Paul is reminding them, you know, because, again, he's writing the Bible in jail, you know. So he's like, the things you do know, hold fast to it. Hold it dearly. Hold on to it for is the, for is the word of what? Life. This word is, uh, Hebrew says, is active, sharper than a two-edged sword, right? It penetrates, it separates. Romans 1 says, for what is the power unto salvation? So, so it's... He's telling the, the congregation, get into the word. Get into the Bible. This is your life. This world, this word, we are called to hold fast, to treasure it. This is the bread of life. Jesus said, I, I am the, the bread of life. God's word is not a directional book. This is not a book of directions on how to navigate this world, but it's a book of God, about God, how to understand God and how to love God and how to worship God. Again, it's not about how we can figure out our journey, our life, which if you read it, it will give you direction, but that's not the primary purpose. We don't come to it so we can figure out what I need to do in 10 years or five years or 20 years. We come to it so we can say, God, who are you? God, what are you doing and how can I get involved? How can I be a part of your work? Why? So I can be obedient. So I can be obedient. So I can be empowered by you. Again, do we come before this book with fear and trembling? Again? I mean, when we open it, do we come like, man, I, I have God's words here. I have his, his breath. It comes alive when I read it. Or do we just grab it? Ah, oh, what do I feel like reading today? 
you know. And we come in fear. God, I want, I want to see your face in this book. I want this book. It's like honey to my lips, right? I need it. It's like the air. I need air. I need this book. But the sad thing is, in our churches, if you were to do a, a survey, we lack biblical literacy. There was a study from uh, uh, the Christianity Today, a little research from them, and they just titled it The Sad Statistics. And it says this, Christians claim to believe the Bible is God's word. We claim it's God's divinely inspired and inerrant message to us. Yet despise this, we aren't reading it. A recent LifeWay, so LifeWay research study found only 45% of those who regularly attend church read the Bible more than once a week. So only about 45% who attend church weekly read the Bible once a week. Over, over 40% of the people attending read their Bibles occasionally, maybe once or twice a month. Almost one in five churches, churchgoers say they never read the Bible, essentially the same number who read it every day. Because we don't read God's word, it follows that we don't know it. But it's more than simply not knowing stories from Scripture. Our lack of biblical literacy has led to a lack of biblical doctrine. Lifeway Research found that while 67% of Americans believe heaven is a real place, 45% believe there are many ways to get there, including one in five evangelical Christians. More than half of evangelicals, 59%, believe the Holy Spirit is a force and not a personal thing. In contrast to the orthodox biblical teaching of the Trinity being three persons and one God. As a whole, Americans, including many Christians, hold unbiblical views on hell, sin, salvation, Jesus, humanity, and the Bible itself. There is little excuse for anyone living in the Western civilizations, particular Christians, to not know or read the Bible. Nine out of ten American homes have at least one Bible. The average American, Christian or not, owns at least three Bibles. And technology has put Bibles at our fingertips wherever we are. You can download the Bible for free on your smartphone. Right? And then it says, in contrast, most Christians desire to become more mature followers of Christ. Right, so in this whole new year, what do you get? My resolution is what? To be a better follower of Christ, to read my Bible more, to grow in Christ. So most Christians desire that. But then again, Lifeway Research found 90% of churchgoers desire to please and honor Jesus in all I do, but almost 60% agree with the statement, throughout the day I find myself thinking about biblical truths it's striking that while most of us desire to please Jesus, few of us take the time to check the Bible to find out if we are actually doing it. And so again, as Christians, how do we know what is obedience? How do we know what are the things of God? How do we know what God has commanded us? Unless we read the Bible. Unless we uh, take hold of it. And then it says, that is what is happening around our churches. We have churches filled with people who do not know the word, brothers and sisters, 
Let's get in the word. Again, if I, if I uh, you know, college students, I always uh, work with them and mentor them. And I just, if I can just give you one thing, and even to adults, and if I can go back and be a better student of the word, if I can be a better student of this Bible, even in my, ten, in my teen years, if I would have just took the advice of my parents and say, man, let me feed on this word. Let me feed on it. That's my prayer for us, that we'll be a church that, again, we believe in, in there, right? We believe it's God's word. It's God's truth. But do we long to get in? in it? And I know that's a struggle for me, right? We get caught up in our work. We get caught up uh, in our daily lives, right? And that's why we have to examine ourselves. God, am I doing your work or am I doing my agenda? Because a person who's in the word is going to be a person who has life, right? Psalms 1, 2, we know this verse, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. Psalms 122, 1, blesses the man who fears the Lord, Again, there's that word fears the Lord who greatly delights in his commandments, who delights in his word. Joshua 1.8 uh, is a verse that we, we all like to quote, right? Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. But then if you keep on reading, it says, But this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do accordingly to all that is written in it. So, hey, in order to be strong and courageous, you have to know the word. You have to know what it teaches, what it says, what God expects of it. So why? So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written, to be obedient. But do we long for it? Do we long for this word? Again, I'm speaking to myself. There's days where I go without reading it. And, and I, Lord, but it's in my mind, Lord, I need it. When I get home, when I get home, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it, read it, and guess what happens? I get stuck at the grocery store, or I get stuck doing this, or just when I get home, a good TV show is on, and, oh, I'm going to watch it. And then I open up the Bible, and then I fall asleep, right? And it, it's, a, it's a work, again, work out your salvation. It's, it's a, if I'm saved, I'm going to fight for this time to be in the Word. That's why some of the blessed people are the poorest people who are Christian because they could just get in the word, right? Again, I've been uh, a couple of months ago, I was in, uh, in Guinea, Africa. And, and I went to church there. Man, they were some of the happiest people ever. Hot in there, musty. I mean, they wore their suits, no AC. And you're there for two, three hours, but they are rejoicing. They're singing, they're happy, they're loud, and, and because they, they treasure this word. They treasure this word. Next month, I go to a place in China where uh, it's illegal to have Bibles. You might have seen in the news where they're killing, um, torturing pastors. They're, they're shutting down churches in parts of Asia. And, and again, yet they're, they're still going to church. You ask them, what do, they, what, do you, what do you want? We want the Bible. We want God's word, right? 
And again, I sit home with two or three copies on my desk and different versions and different colors. And uh, Do we long for God's word? Do we depend on it? Luke 8, the, the parable of the sower, we know that, right? The, the, the farmer throws out seeds, right? And the seed is the word of God. Verse 14, it says, Luke chapter 8, verse 14, And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the, what? By the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Right? So here is kind of, you could say this person might be a Christian. They, they, they received the word. They accepted it, but, man, they didn't grow. Right? They didn't grow like in, in, in Galatians 5, 25, the fruit of the Spirit. They, they just didn't grow in that way because why? It says there, the cares and what? And riches of pleasures of life. They were too busy trying to work on these things. But Francis Chan said, that, man, one of the scariest things is for Americans is that, man, we're going to succeed at things. But we're going to succeed at things that don't matter in the kingdom. It's better to succeed for the things that will uh, carry in the kingdom. But then verse 15, as for that in good soil, they are those who hearing the word, again, they heard the word, hold it fast. There's that word again, hold it fast, they treasure it, and an honest and good heart and bear fruit with, with pleasure. So a, a Christian, again, someone who's been born again is going to, have a heart, a desire for the word to grow, hold it tightly, and then you will produce fruit, obedience. You will produce the works of Christ. Is it impossible? Yes, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Hold it fast to believe in it. And again, that's one thing I loved about this church is that we preach the word. Sunday school here. There's no time for interviews. Or there's no time to, you know, have, you know, games and stuff. And it's about the Word of God. It's about teaching and, and, and training us, the believers, the flock, to be the good soil, to be the good seed in the good soil. But it takes, uh, again, it takes work. When am I going to read the scripture? Is it in the morning, afternoon? Again, Psalms and, and Joshua tells us it's a good idea to start in the morning. Man, his delight, you know, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And then that, what better way to end the day than reflecting on his goodness? Because then again, it's a, re, it's a reminder that everything that happened throughout the day is God working in me. God doing in me. Uh, one of my, my, my times in working in youth ministry, I had a, a lot of the teenagers come and they would, you know, just start, I got this issue and I got this issue and I got this. And I would just, just stop and say, hey, have you read the Bible? No, I haven't. That might help you out. You know, even in couples, you know, uh, uh, my dad's a pastor and so he'll, he'll do a marriage counseling or counseling with, with couples and come and they'll start just throwing at him all the issues that are going on. And he just said, wait a minute. Have y'all been reading the Bible and praying together? And they just look at him like he's crazy. And they go, no, we haven't. So maybe you should start doing that. Just 
just start reading the Bible and praying together. You'll, you'll see what God would do. Save you a lot of money going from a, to a counseling session. But that's just the thing. If, you just, if we would just read the Bible and pray, that would probably solve a lot of our headaches. Right? Because then we're being empowered by God. So the best thing we can do, again, as a church, is just hold fast to this word. We dig in it, reading it. Again, like that research said from Christianity Today, we have the Bible in, in all types of formats and places, so there's no excuse. But that's what Satan wants. It's for you to be busy, 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 busy. And sometimes busy can be busy in the church. Right? We're busy doing this and doing this, but if you're not in the Word, then what do you have to offer? John fifteen five is, you know, for I am the vine, you are the branches. What did he say? Apart from me, you can do what? You can do nothing. So you have to be part of the vine. You have to be connected with Christ. You have to be. Paul's exhortation to the Philippians is the same for Providence Church and Marshall. Again, live obedient, empowered by God, and devoted to the word. LED, right? And that's the kind of life we want to be. We want to be in, in the midst of a crooked and tw- a twisted generation. We want those who are lost to know the church is here. Church is a safe place. Right? Because what does the light do? It reveals darkness. It reveals um, the wickedness. But then it also gives light. Right? It gives direction. Have you ever tried to go find something at night? You know, I, I did, I was talking to Justin, but I did deer hunting a couple years ago and at night, you got to go find the deer, and it's without a flashlight, you are lost. Like, you ain't going to find the deer. But with the little light, it just, just, just the little light does so much good. So imagine if you have a spotlight, an LED light. Man, you go find that thing in a couple of hours. The world is, is in misery. The world is in pain. The world is lost, and it's longing for hope. It's longing for peace. And you and I, the church, we have been called to be that light. The light to the world. Last week there was a, uh, a big game, right? Super Bowl. In uh, Atlanta, Georgia, right? The, the Mercedes-Benz Dome. And it was just cool when they, they did that, the big view, you know, the sky view. And you can just, from out of the whole city, you can tell there's a dome. Why? It was just lighted up. It was just lighted up nice and neat. And, and so when you had the, the, the helicopter view of the, of the whole city, you can say, that, that's the game over there. And that's what we should be as a church, Providence, church in general, that when the world just sees, they can say, there's, there's, there's a hope over there. There's peace over there. There's joy over there. There's a safe place for me to go to over there. Because we are the light of the world. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your words. Thank you for these words that Paul wrote to the church of Philippi that we can also apply to ourselves. Father, it's, it's, you call us to live life of, of lives of obediently, lives that reflect your salvation, God. And, and that's our heart and our or that's. Our prayers for today, God. And so I pray for anybody here who, man, just 
maybe having a tough time in their life, their time, their tough time in their walk, in their journey in this, in this walk with you, Lord, that you would, um, that they may uh, reach out to you, God, that they may cry out to you, ask for forgiveness, Lord, ask for repentance of where we have fallen, Lord, and, and then will you just put in a new passion in their hearts to, to long to live obediently, Lord, that we may be empowered by you, God, that we may, that we may be filled with your spirit, God, that you may dwell in us. But Lord, that you would uh, dwell in us with your word, God. That we would be people, that we would be uh, your sons and daughters who desire your word, God. For there's truth there, Lord. There's life. It brings life to us, God. It convicts us, Lord. It, 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 it lets us know where we need to be at, what we need to be doing, God. And, and it just draws us to you, Father God. Forgive us for we take it lightly, with your word, God. We go days and, and weeks without getting into your word, God. Forgive us for that. Forgive us as a church in general, Lord, that, that we just don't take it seriously enough to dive in your word. But we pray for those around the world, Lord, who are being persecuted because of this word, God. And continue to um, pour out your blessings, Lord, upon them, God. And Lord, we just thank you, Lord, again for uh, just this church, Lord, that you may continue to uh, use Providence here in this area of Marshall and East Texas, Lord, that, that those around this community, this city, this county may, may know that there's a place that they can come to, Lord. Lord, that there's a church here that, that truly loves you, that truly uh, worships you, Father God, and, they, and that people in this community can come and be a part of that, God. We pray for that. And Lord, just thank you for being good to us, Lord, merciful to us. We pray this in your precious name.